0: Here's where the fun begins. Let's make this a bit more interesting. You've taken your first step into a larger world. The garbage will do! Nothing will stand in our way. May the void be
1: better. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Twin Sons Book Club Podcast. My name is Eric and today I am joined by Christian and we have Amanda back on this episode. Amanda, welcome back. It's been a few months since you've been on.
0: Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been a minute. Been busy, busy, huh?
1: Yeah, so we're just going to start off by saying that uh, Amanda and I we're planning for our wedding. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Christian, I know you're doing the same. Uh, and this book was 456 pages long. Uh, so it was kind of a race to the finish. And Amanda and I did not really finish the book. I would say I got through like everything except for the last 30 pages. Uh, and Amanda, you got a little less than that. <laughs> Yeah, i read
0: the first half and the last 30 pages i skipped the middle
1: <laughs> yeah uh but christian you read you read the entire thing uh, but I, and i feel like we'll we'll have a good discussion but uh for the month of april we read through victory's price by alexander freed and this was the third book in the trilogy of the alphabet squadron trilogy um, and it kind of finished off the story of Erica Quell, um, Nath Tencent, Will Lark, Chastnot Chaddick, and a bunch of other characters from this story, Kairos. But I guess, Christian, we'll start with you. Just kind of overall, what did you think of this book as, as the conclusion of the Alphabet Squadron trilogy?
2: Well, parts of it were definitely epic Um, The beginning of the book definitely started off with a bang. Really, really exciting. We found out right away about Yika Quell, uh, another big cliffhanger from the the last book, Shadowfall, was her joining uh, the enemy and what her intentions were. I was a little bit disappointed. I know one of the big things from the previous book was, uh, or or one of the things maybe I was excited for, maybe not everyone was, but she had that Sith ship she got from that Sith, um, I guess you call it like a Sith temple or (laughs) maybe it's the Sith parking garage, I don't know. (laughs) Um, And she had to kind of unlock it by going to a dark place in her mind. And I thought, one, we might see that Sith ship and learn some more kind of cool things about that, maybe learn some Sith lore through that but that didn't really pan out and I also thought we might see some kind of mental kind of psychological damage from her um having to unlock that sith temple and that didn't really pan out either but still really really interesting this book is uh, like, like the whole trilogy it's really character driven um we learned a lot about the characters we learned a lot about um, Shadow Squadron which I think was a really big purpose of the book and that's what kind of Eureka had to go through and probably the strongest point in the book was showing that on both sides there's really good people um, we, we tend to see just the one perspective in the movies but through the novels that lost stars does a great job of this too we, we really learn that there's other perspectives to the overall story and that was probably the best thing that the book did
1: Yeah, and the ship, I mean, from what what we got of it in this book, it was taken by the surviving members of Quell's team uh, when she went to that one Nettelik planet or whatever you call it, right? They brought it back to the Yadis. Is that what happened to it?
2: Um, I actually didn't fully remember what exactly happened to it. But like you guys, you, you didn't quite finish the book, but I started the book two months ago, so I don't quite remember.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. Cause I know when she was on that planet, she beamed the information from the data chip on, um, the emperor's messenger to Mm -hmm. her ship. And then she was taken off that planet in the U wing with Kairos and, uh,
2: Right, that makes and sense.
1: And Chaz, and I think the surviving members of her team that went back to Shadow Wing, I think, took the ship. But I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly. But Amanda, of the parts that you read, what did you think of the final installment?
0: I really enjoy everything that I've gotten so far from it. Um, I'm liking that we're getting some more Harris Indula in this one. She is one of my all-time favorite Star Wars characters. Um, And we're getting to see a little bit more of her in this book than we did in the last one, which is pretty neat. Um, I'm enjoying the um, push and pull of Yurika's emotional state as far as, you know, her intention to betray shadowing as well as, you know, agreeing with a lot of the things that Soren says. And she, you know, that's her mentor, so that's also, you know, playing a part in her difficulties now that she's back with them and kind of, you know, covertly getting ready to betray them all. Um, and I, I really like, I know I skipped the middle, but I really enjoy the end. Um, just seeing how everyone ends up and, you know, how they go about their way um, without it having to all be about somebody sacrificing themselves i thought that was a really different way to go about the end of um an epic star wars book
1: yeah i agree and i think for me christian we were talking a little bit earlier just kind of the middle it seemed to it seemed to kind of lose traction a little bit like it seemed like it take a while to get through it um but i think you know it's 456 page book so you know What are you going to put in the middle? You got to figure out where all these characters are going to go to get from A to B, things like that. I don't think it was a bad book by any means, but I really did enjoy the addition of some of these characters in this whole trilogy. And I think Harrison Dula was one that a lot of us can get excited about within the whole trilogy. And what I love even more about it is that this book more than, or this series more than any other series, really connects with the video games. And if you take a look at some of the all these other aspects of Star Wars, uh, they've taken a series of books like, for example, the Galaxy's Edge books and made those integrate very well with the parks itself. You talk about, you know, watching the Mandalorian and how that integrates with the Clone Wars and all of these different parts are kind of being brought together. Um, And that's one thing I'm very excited about with the High Republic as well. You have this this uh story that spans over multiple books with multiple different authors and it's also going to overlap into the acolyte uh with the tv shows which i'm i'm super excited about and now you have stories that have been told in the video games like for example battlefront 2 we get to see the emperor's messengers in there we get to see operation cinder in there and now um, with star wars squadrons Hera leaves in in the book um, – what was the middle one called? It was called – Shadowfall. Shadowfall. In Shadowfall, Hera goes and helps out Vanguard Squadron, and that's essentially the story of Star Wars Squadrons. We get to see Hera and Vanguard Squadron and get to meet those characters. Um, and I just love how everything is, is coming together. And if you've played the video games and you read the books – at least in this instance it makes it that much more enjoyable. So I love that. And even in um the Star Wars Squadrons games, they the uh New Republic has that secret project the Starhawk and we get some of the Starhawk vehicles at the end of this book too. So I just love that about the book and um and the series as a whole. So
0: Yeah. It really seems like Star Wars is weaving this giant tapestry and we have absolutely no idea what the end picture is going to be but there's so much that we haven't filled in yet
1: absolutely now let's talk about some of these characters guys there's a couple that i really want to spend some time with the first one is will lark and we've seen will from the beginning and one thing that he has done throughout these books is attempt to talk to Shadow Wing and try and find a peaceful way to end this struggle with Shadow Wing um, by telling stories of your home planet, by telling stories of experiences and, and things like that. And at the end of this, he decides that he's not even going to participate in the Battle of Jakku, right? He's not even going to get into his A-Wing and go out there and, and fight. He's on the Deliverance helping fix, you know things that are blowing up on the ship and, and, and things like that. So I know Amanda, you may have not read that part, but Christian, what did you think of Will's decision in that regard?
2: Yeah, it is really interesting. It shows all the conflict that he has within himself. Cause I mean, like you said, he was searching for any way to find peace. And I think previous to the battle of Jakku, when they did share all of their stories with each other, I mean, they were really open. It's just a unique circumstance, Alpha Squadron and Shadow Squadron just being open to each other uh, about some personal things. I think that caused him to get to know them and he just couldn't bring himself to be a part of that fight, one that he probably no longer Believed in enough to do his job on the deliverance, but difficult to physically engage in. Um, I think kind of near the end of the book, he might have had some regret for it. He kind of had the the label of a deserter because he wasn't with his squadron. But yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty strange. I would have still expected him to go out there and have the loyalty to his own squadron. Um, but that conflict really is what the book's all about is what's good and evil. When you start getting to know what you think is evil more and more, you realize it maybe isn't what you thought it was.
1: Yeah, and one weird thing that I thought of, and granted I was I was kind of trying to power through the book toward the end here, but, you know, Nath is basically getting on Will's case for essentially deserting his squadrons prior to the Battle of Jakku. But if you think about what happened in the Battle of Jakku, and what Nath did, I mean, he was working hard up until a certain point, and then he was, he lied about his ship being damaged, and he kind of mm. deserted the battle too. Right. You
2: know? Yeah, and he was part of the battle, which <laughs> I feel like that's even worse. If you're part of it, in it, and then you leave, well, now there's a, there's a gap where entering the battle, he knew wh- where Will was, he was doing his job on deliverance, he didn't abandon the battle, he was just in the battle from different um, doing something different. And yeah, it is really ironic that, and he even called others to join him too. When he left Nath, when he went to the moon to do his repairs, he called for others to join him. So yeah, really strange. He can just completely lost his
1: will to fight. Yeah, definitely a weird thing there. Um, Do you have anything to add on that, Amanda?
0: I just, I actually, during Will's transmissions, because I did read that, um, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that part specifically, and as a whole, from Eureka's point of view, of them humanizing both sides of it, of them recognizing the good and the evil done on both sides of it throughout the book. And even in the conversations between Hera and Mon Mothma at the end of the book, you see them kind of debating that and debating, well, both sides have done bad, not planet destroying bad, granted, but there have been murky, dark things happening on either side of it. And how do you judge that? You know, it's it's a t- an entirely different picture when it's not black and white anymore. So, yeah, I really, I really enjoyed that aspect of the book, the gray area that Star Wars has been dabbling in a little bit more recently.
1: Yeah, and that's like the same thing with Thrawn, too, right? I mean, historically, you think of Thrawn as this grand admiral in the Empire, but as we continue to read more about his story, it's like Thrawn's not actually a bad guy. So, and we'll be doing that. We'll be talking a lot more about Thrawn in the next uh, next podcast. But let's talk a little bit about Kairos, guys. And in this one, I was, I was, very, I was very shocked about what happened with her character. Like, I didn't, in the first book, it, she was very quiet, didn't say much, made guttural sounds. She was wrapped up, she was covered up, and then she gets really badly injured, and, and we learn a little bit more about her past. In Shadowfall, um, she's got to spend a bunch of time in Bacta. She wasn't in Shadowfall as much as this book, I remember. Um, but we we find out a lot more about her. Kairos is a name that she gave herself after she was essentially taken and experimented on. It wasn't her birth name, and we find out a lot more about her people. They essentially view her as like this unclean member of uh, you know their race because she was taken and, and, and experimented on. Um, we get to visit her home planet a little bit, and at the end, she kind of saves Quell. And uh, after everything that they've been through, um, this is one of the quotes that, that Kyra said to Quell, you are my sister, but your crimes are not forgotten. And then at the end, when she saves Quell from uh, Soren she says, I forgive you, and kind of jumps out of her Ewing as it explodes. And there's there's a lot to talk about, a lot to digest with with uh, Kairos. But what did you guys think of her character in this novel?
2: Did you get to the very end of Kairos when she had her transformation?
1: I did not. Is that the is that the last 30 pages?
2: Um, it was a little bit before the last 30 pages. So when she jumped out of the Ewing... U- the U-wing, you might've thought that she might've died at that point, um, but she didn't. I believe she was injured, but she meets up with Quell soon after. And it's really interesting reading it. This is one of my favorite parts of the book because you're not sure if Kairos is dying or not. It sounds like she is with the way it's written and what Kairos is saying to Quell, which is not actually dying She's transforming almost into like, like a new person, into like a new identity. It's kind of hard to explain without reading it, but we know that she transformed before into Kairos. She wasn't always mm-hmm. Kairos. We took that name after um, this experimentation and she left with Karen Aiden. Um, but it was it was like it was written as if the armor on her was just peeling and fading away, almost as if she was shedding her skin. And um, the words that Alexander Freed said was that her skin was like like a baby skin, very innocent, and she was like a new person. And um, they they were somewhere near a ledge, and then it said she jumped off the ledge. And I thought she was um, kind of jumping to her death, but it just mentioned that she ran away. And that was the last that we saw of Kairos. Um, and later in the book, it mentioned that they hadn't seen Kairos in a while. Uh, I believe Chasna Chadik had tried to reach out to her, but they just kind of talked about how that she was kind of the one person of Alphabet Squadron who could survive on her own. And that's what she was doing. And probably, or definitely under a different name than Kairos as a whole new identity, but really interesting change and ending to her character.
1: Yeah. I I think she was one of my favorite characters and to kind of see her grow from this character that just makes sounds and says very few words to what we get to see of her in this one, even in the middle of the book, uh, I thought was very, very interesting. Let's talk a little bit about Quell, kind of the main character of the book, uh, and we we get her from the beginning of the series, and we see her all the way through this one, and you go from a member of Alphabet, previously part of the Empire, and then, like you said, Christian you know very big cliffhanger at the end of the second novel um to me even though it stated that she was sending messages to the new republic and you know allowing them to to follow shadowing uh and things like that i i still was a little skeptical and that just could be me but like even when Hera was confronting her after she goes back to the new republic and she's like what's uh, Soren planning, and she's like, "I'm not going to tell you." It's like, "Why not?" Well, it's not the right time. It doesn't feel like the right thing to do. It's like this is just weird to me. You know, if you want to, if you want to be pardoned, if you want to come clean with everything, then you need to like be open about it. And then Hera gets called off, and and you know, she eventually she eventually has an idea and and goes to Alphabet about it and and stuff like that. But to me, um, I was still a little skeptical up until kind of the end, because she does have that relationship with her mentor. Um, They were close, and I don't know. What did you guys think about her character in this one?
0: Well, honestly, I think that even she was a little bit skeptical of what her ultimate intention was, because she was having that internal struggle um, between her old life, her new life, and this limbo that she was in for most of the book. But I, I kind of liked watching her muddle through it and wa- uh, working through these extreme circumstances in a very human way. What do you think, Christian?
2: Yeah, I completely agree with you, Amanda. That <laughs> why we feel confused because she was too. I mean, she's gone her whole um, like flying career just conflicted. She joined the Empire to learn how to fly so she could join um, the rebellion, but then she stayed with the Empire. Um, and then she eventually did leave. She kind of, she really learns both sides really, really well. When, when the book started, I was kind of disappointed um, that she just went to Shadow Wing to um, kind of take them down from the inside. She started getting to know the same people again. She got with Sauron, Kai's, and she doesn't think Sauron's a bad person. She might think that Sauron is a little bit misguided, especially near the end of the book. Um but yeah especially when she was still sending signals to Hera um and alphabet squadron it really did, did feel like that part of her she felt like that's what she had to do because she made the move to join shadow um shadow wing but she really felt so much conflict and didn't want any hurt to happen it was interesting having her and Will on opposite sides where they both didn't really want any more fighting or killing to happen, but here they are in separate sides of the war. Um, yeah, I definitely agree. She still had conflict when she came back and she didn't want to tell Hera about Sauron's plans. And I think she'd really gained a pretty good perspective by that point. Cause she was so open to both sides and accepting of both sides. And because of that, she <laughs> almost kind of like felt rejected by both sides and, but she seemed like the person out of Alphabet and Shadow that really answered the big picture that just put her in a really weird situation.
1: I really liked everything that happened in this book with her and and to watch her interact with her mentor again because I mean this is this is where we get to see them together. You know, we we've heard about their past, we've we've seen them on opposite sides, and then now they're together and interacting um i really enjoyed that and i loved kind of the the push and the pull that they that they had together and the final you know flying through coruscant i thought was kind of interesting um with the two of them at the end there i thought that was cool but let's talk a little bit more about about soren keys um because he has been the villain for the last couple novels and essentially Operation Cinder 2, right? They're just going to all these different worlds and obliterating everybody who was not part of the Empire. And even the Empire, right? They were taking out some people that were still technically part of the Empire. They were just being factions of the Empire that resisted. So what did you guys think of Soren and kind of his character in this book?
2: Yeah, I always like the anti-hero type. He's not really presented as a hero, but I really like the character that has positive motivations. Um, Some of the stuff that he does, you you really understand it, but you don't agree with how they're going about it. It's kind of like Thanos. Um, You you kind of agree with... He he wants uh, to help population control so everyone um has enough food and resources go around it 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 makes sense but the way they go about it is just wrong so that was really interesting from his perspective and his motivations that sort of thing
0: genocide's never a good look
2: no he has never really justified at all
0: (laughs) (laughs) um for me he is a really complicated character um, I am ha- had a hard time, um, as far as I am in the book, placing who he really is and what he really wants. Because sometimes I don't think even he knows. Because he questions certain aspects of the Empire. He questions um, the directives that have been given by the messenger. And, I mean, he's, I think, thrilled when you know, it's destroyed and he can start picking it apart and figuring things out. I I just, I I don't understand all of his motivations. So that makes him a really intriguing and frustrating character for me. I don't know if you guys felt that way at all, though.
1: I didn't feel frustrated by his character. I thought it was kind of interesting because sometimes you have these characters that are just pure evil, right? You think about like Maul and... Savage will press and well, Savage not so much. He was kind of turned into that. But but definitely Maul, you know, they're just evil. That's what they are. They're they have evil natures and but this guy, I mean, you could you could see him thinking and you could see him he was a stubborn guy, but um I think he strived for knowledge, you know. Um and to me it was more of like Like, even this whole thing with the Emperor's Messenger, I mean, he just wanted information. How did the Empire select, or how did the Emperor select, you know, who got this information on on Operation Cinder directives? You know, what exactly was the purpose of these messengers? And so, I don't necessarily agree with the Operation Cinder part, but I do like that, I do like the type of character that he brought to Star Wars. Let's talk a little bit about these messengers, So we first got the Messengers in Star Wars Battlefront with the Emperor's face. Um, Did you play that game, Christian, at all?
2: Um, I did. You're talking about the story of Battlefront 2. Is that right? Yeah. Yep, I, I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And we don't really know what they do. We just know that they're there giving the orders for Operation Cinder. But through this... We find that they take this. uh, They take the parts to the surgeon, who is then able to kind of figure out what the purpose of these are. Um, They upload the information onto a data chip, which Quell goes and finds out what they are. And it turns out that these messengers essentially have recorded everything on the from the Empire. Right. So, like, if you have somebody that doesn't necessarily. Get excited for the empire, the emperor's rallies, or you know somebody who I don't know exactly what the examples are that they gave in this, but it records everything um, with all the people, even things that you wouldn't think are recorded. So, what did you think of that, Christian?
2: I mean, I was kind of surprised by that. I was really curious when the emperor's messenger was first introduced um, in this trilogy, what its role was going to be. Because you don't just drop the Emperor's Messenger in a trilogy and not do something pretty crazy with it. And this was kind of the big revelation, was this kind of database that it had uh, specifically to recording kind of everything. Um, I mean, I guess it had to have some way to, um, like uh, Soron Kaiz was saying, kind of pick... Who would kind of operate out Operation Cinder and basically just keep the empire alive? So, I guess, kind of an interesting angle about trying to find who maybe the most evil people of the emperor who are going to follow out the orders. But it's kind of an interesting twist that Sauron Kai has kind of figured out is while that was used by the emperor's messenger for its own motivations, it could be used by the new republic for something entirely different. This is basically just evidence and evidence of evidence of everything that um, anyone, I mean, he said that the evil empire touched literally every single member of it. So it was kind of an interesting twist with how it was used. Um, I felt like the revelation maybe could have been, they could have done a little bit more maybe with the Emperor's Messenger. My, My favorite kind of part about it was when they were first kind of decoding it, um, the droid said something like it's not really acting like a. I forget exactly what they said, maybe you remember better, Eric. Um, it wasn't acting like a program, it was more based on like a motivation or, or it was something like that. I thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, it was more it was based like on that. feelings, yeah, and it was saying spite and. Mm-hmm um oh gosh what was the other one that they named
1: well i was just looking through my notes here and in chapter 12 it says that the data chip in the computer finds info on the emperor's messenger there's algorithms and formulas for assessing loyalty to the empire there's equations that assessed many other characteristics and past experiences of a person so all that stuff is included in what the emperor's messenger records
0: It's like Big Brother's always watching.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. But it's just (laughs) Palpatine's (laughs) robot.
0: Being creepy.
2: I wonder how long or, like, what method it recorded, because his messenger wasn't always around. So I wonder what exactly, like, what method the Emperor used to record everything about everyone before messenger was ever a
1: thing. Right. Yeah, I don't. That's a good question. I'm not sure. Do you guys have anything specific on Nath? In this one?
0: I'm disappointed. That's yeah, with, about uh, it. <laughs> he was so promising. He was really starting to come around and then he sucked. It's fine.
2: Yeah, and at the very end he was like, I'm just going to go back to doing what it was before and he he even said that he was just kind of doing it because Karen Aiden had him, had him on his, like, private payroll and it was just kind of another job for him, <laughs> which, yeah, was pretty disappointing to hear.
1: It seemed like he was ready to die, too, at the end where they're when they're trying to destroy the frigate, the uh, the Yadis. Um, and then when they don't die, he's like, all right, well, time to go, you know. I don't know. He didn't really... He didn't really strike me as my favorite character in this one because he he kind of just went and talked to people. You know, he had that important conversation with Chas about being a cultist and what happens after the war and things like that. But then, of course, he gets mad at Will after everything that they've been through and to try to like you know fix their relationship up until that point. And it's just like I don't know. He wasn't my favorite character. He didn't make decisions that I feel like were were the best ones in this one. But um, that's just me. It was weird too,
2: kinda of funny. It seemed like every single member of Alphabet Squadron, like you said, was ready to die at the end, and it's like they all made it out. Kinda of surprising.
1: Yeah. I think one of my favorite members of of Alphabet Squadron is Chass, and I've said this from the beginning. I just love her character. She went off the deep end a little bit. She has an attitude and I don't necessarily love those aspects of her character, but I like how I like where she ended up. Um and I also like the funny quips that she says you know, she's the queen of she said something about the queen the Thelan queen of something and fizzy drinks and it's like she <laughs> broadcasted that over you know the comms and everything to to shadowing and everybody as everybody else um but I really enjoyed that she survived. I thought she she might die because that's what she wanted for such a long time and when, you know her ion cannon explodes and her ship is in bad shape and you know she goes on that final run against the yadis and and then like the ship disappears and stuff i'm like she's probably alive but i don't want to assume that but i was glad that she survived in the end and i didn't get to this part but i heard from both of you that her and quell are kind of a thing at the end so that's kind of interesting as well
0: yeah i wasn't sure if i was reading it correctly um because they kind of, she went to Eureka for a job and was like, you owe me. And Eureka was like, yeah. So at the end, when Will comes to visit and they're all having, you know, drinks and reminiscing, he made an offhand comment about it looking good on Eureka. And I I think that was in reference to them having a relationship at this point.
2: Yeah, and uh, when, right, right before that, um, Chass kissed Eureka on the on the lips before going to bed and it was just written in the book so casually. Yeah. I had to read it multiple times. I'm like, was it on the cheek? Was it just like a good night, friendly kiss on the lips, which I've never heard of? But it was written so casually like that, and it wasn't really hinted at anywhere else in the book. Yeah, it was really like, Oh, I guess they're a couple now.
0: But I wonder if that's why Chas was so mad oh, and maybe. so spiteful because there were feelings involved that totally went over my head.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe she was mourning Quelve because everyone thought she was dead. And then she's been mourning her this whole time. Maybe she'd just gone over or been trying to work through the motions. And then to find out that she's in one of the enemy TIE fighters, yeah, that would be. <laughs> pretty yeah. infuriating. but it definitely explain why she just took off after her into hyperspace that's a good point
0: Yep, yeah, i think that i just was not picking up on it throughout the book because it was such a casual undertone for them and i'm really happy that they did put that in there though
1: i remember some comments or some sentences throughout i don't know if it was in the first one too much but definitely in the second one and and other comments in this one from Erica toward Chas, or at least maybe thoughts or, or something, um, where I was like, I, it seems like she's interested in Chas, like romantically. I don't know if you guys remember seeing those or not, but it seemed more, it seemed like there was more interest on Quell's part towards Chas than the other way around, but I don't know.
0: Maybe Chas was just too angry all the time to do anything about it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I really like the dynamic of of the characters in this. I think uh, having characters of all different types and personalities are what really make these books interesting to read because some people may like one character, other people like different characters, and and just kind of having them all together is, is really cool to see. So at this point, we've gone through all the characters. I kind of want to just take a couple of minutes each to talk about what our favorite parts of the book were and kind of just our overall thoughts and feelings on the trilogy as a whole. So Amanda, we'll start with you.
0: I am really, really happy to see Eureka come out of this um, on the other side and living a semi-normal life um, and just having framed freedom to find who she is. Because I don't think at any point during any of the books, she's had the opportunity to be herself. So that was a really, a really happy surprise for me. Because I thought this was going to go the Rogue One route and everyone was going to die. And they didn't. So that was really awesome.
2: Uh, yeah, my favorite parts of the book definitely centered around the the blurring of the lines between good and evil. Um, definitely a really good message for I mean, just anyone, but we're living in a time where there's a lot of division. um, And so just a really good reminder that even in the division between the rebellion and the empire, where there's very clear cut good and evil in the movies, when we dive into the details and really get to know each side, um, it's really not that easy. And once you learn more and more about um, a group that you've been judging, it becomes much more harder to do so because you understand them a lot better. And uh, I guess one more thing is we've kind of brought up the, the point that this book kind of did move a little slower at times, had some lulls, but at its peaks, it was just incredible. Um, like the moment where we thought Chasnachatic might die, uh, I think it was a, a whole section just beautifully written of her kind of conflict of choosing to live or choosing if she wants to die just figuring that in her head that was beautifully written and then the transformation of Kairos at the end I know um you guys maybe didn't get a chance to get to that but really again, a beautifully written moment and he had a lot of these kind of scattered throughout the book that really made it stand out um as maybe the whole thing wasn't kind of seamless in how intrigued I was but when I was really intrigued by it it was basically an all-time high
1: I agree with everything that you guys said and I think I think this book really had a lot of highlights going back to like the good versus evil thing I think you know it's all a matter of perspective and when you get to know a certain person or whatever, you kind of end up feeling for them a little bit more and a little bit more sensitive to their feelings and thoughts and, you know, maybe more than you would be normally. So I agree with that, Christian. I think for me, uh, I really like when authors take a moment in current Star Wars that uh, has already happened in the films or something like that. Like, for example, Lost Stars, right? Lost Stars does this a lot where it's a scene that we're familiar with, but it's from a different character's perspective. And I really like the story that Will said, um, the Will told in this one of right after the Battle of Endor, everyone's dancing and having a good time and everything, and he ends up going for a walk, and he ends up seeing Luke burning Darth Vader, Luke burning Darth Vader's armor and everything. Um, and so now when I watch Return of the Jedi, it's like, oh, Will saw this. You know, like, that'll be cool. That'll be cool going back to, to see that. Um, obviously, Hera being a major character that everybody's familiar with from Star Wars Rebels, to read about her and to actually get her on the ghost uh, was awesome to see in this one when the Deliverance is about to explode. And they had mentioned the, the ghost in the hangar bay and we got to see it a little bit, but then as the deliverance was exploding, she runs in, grabs the controls, and and flies out to join the fray in the battle of Jakku. I was like so pumped for that part. I was like, yes, Hera's back in the ghost. She's gonna she's gonna do some stuff. I love that we actually got the me- uh, the mention of Jason Sindula in this one, which we hadn't got at all in the previous ones. Uh, I was looking for that, and we got that one in this one, which was awesome. And I also loved, obviously, the Battle of Jakku. Kind of, we get to see that from a bunch of different perspectives, and the mention of the T seventy X wing prototype, which is the Resistance X wings that we get to see in the sequel trilogy, um, and that's what Quell was flying around in at the end of the book too. So I love all that stuff, and I think overall, this this was a fantastic trilogy. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for reading with us this month. We're we definitely apologize for being a little behind in the reading and, and uh, not getting as many discussion questions out this week and or this month and, and things like that. But hopefully you guys enjoyed Alphabet Squadron Trilogy by Alexander Freed and, and will join us this month in May for book two of the Thrawn Ascendancy Trilogy, which is called Greater Good by Timothy Zahn. And I know the the third book is actually coming out in November or something silly like that. I think they're Don's really pumping them out. So uh, very excited to go back to our favorite Chiss and read more about about that. I know it's a couple very in depth, very detailed authors and very detailed books back to back here. So uh, just bear with us, and then we'll we'll have a break in June, which will be nice. So we'll kind of hit it hard here and and get a little bit more information on on the chis and i think we'll we'll all be taking a much-needed break come june amanda if people want to follow us on social media where can they do that
0: all right so as far as the tso book club is concerned you can find us in facebook groups under tso book club and on twitter at TSO Book Club. And if you're looking for our normally scheduled podcasts, we are at Twin Sons Outpost on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube.
1: All right. And Christian, if people want to keep up with what you're doing and follow what you've got coming out, where can people do that? Go ahead and follow
2: me on Twitter. It's at underscore CC baseball. Uh, all the book reviews are posted on Twin Sons Outpost, but I also share that on my page. I'm finishing up school as well, so who knows? I might get into writing about some other stuff other than Star Wars as well, um, but we'll see what happens there. But if I do post anything, it will be definitely on my Twitter page.
1: All right, thank you guys so much for joining us this month as we talked through Victory's Price by Alexander Freed. We'll be back again next month with more Thrawn, We'll see you then, and as always, may the Force be with you.
2: Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Twin Suns Podcast Network. May the Force be with you. Master
0: It's controlled by the hut.
2: rendezvous point
1: on Halloween.
2: This <laughs> time you are mad me for